Hello, welcome to the Bond Revisited podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joe. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to episode 21, where we'll be revisiting the film Casino Royale. I guess we need to clarify the, the 2006 Casino Royale, because oh. I believe there was a different one. Oh, I I didn't get the memo on that. Ah, I, sh- I mean, I I felt I, silly just saying Casino Royale's this week. I probably should have specified. I, yeah, I need to maybe, can we pause for maybe like two and a half hours? Yeah, let's meet um, back here in uh, two and a half, yeah? Because I've got a very different set of notes. <laughs> Much shorter, I would assume. <laughs> Much more nonsensical. <laughs> Uh, no, so yeah, so we'll be doing the, the Daniel Craig. Pierce Brosnan is out. He's gone. In with the Craig. Which, how much do you remember of like the whole hubbubaloo of the press when Casino Royale was about to come out? You know, I was actually thinking about this this morning when I was making my coffee. My morning coffee. This nice. is what I do. I was thinking, do you know what, podcast later on. And one of the points that I remember coming up, or whenever... Whenever you hear about this change of Bond back in 2006, because, you know, it had been four years since the Die Another Day film had come out. Uh, and and there's always, always this talk about, oh, there was a blonde Bond. There was all this backlash. People couldn't believe it. Daniel Craig, he's going to be the Bond. And I got to be honest, maybe it's just because I was younger and I don't really remember much of it. But I also feel like there's a certain element of it's just that thing that the papers said and no one actually that you would have spoke to had those opinions I don't know. I can't remember anyone actually being that that surprised or angry that Daniel Craig was now becoming Bond. I don't remember that as well. I'm assuming it was just a bit of pub talk when people were actually talking about it. Yeah. No one actually really cares all that much, but, you know, just in a pub being like, did you see they hired a blonde guy? Oh, bloody hell. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> this country. <Yeah. laughs> like It was just that sort of stuff. But yeah, as you said, I was also too young to really care all that much. But it was just insane, like, reading up about this film where you've got stuff like apparently the Daily Mirror as a head, like a front page headline was it's Bland, James Bland, <laughs> because like, because <laughs> they cast Daniel Cray. It's like, is that just how good the world was in 2005 or whatever it would have been that they could report front, like front page news was, oh, James Bond isn't, doesn't have dark hair. Oh, I long for those days. That sounds great. <laughs> It really does. The biggest issue of the country right now is James Bond. Yeah, uh, I don't know. But the thing is, is that Daniel Craig wasn't a complete unknown when he was cast as Bond. He'd been in, uh, but I think he'd already been in Tomb Raider by this point, and and like Layer Cake and things like that. Yeah. So, but I don't know where the bland comes from. I don't, that seems a bit unfair. I don't know. I I really don't know. I didn't read the article, unfortunately. I'm sure they explained it and broke it down and presented a very real argument that makes sense. Um, But yeah, I think it was just a big overreaction. But it's an interesting one because potentially we're about to go through that cycle again. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that cycle plays out um, because it's probably going to be very similar unless they just cast someone who looks exactly like a classic James Bond character. We're probably just going to go through it again. Do you think it's going to be front page news or do you think there's still going to be things like cost of living, wars, <laughs> uh, cl- climate change? Or do you think uh, you know, we're going to take a step back, bring it back down a little bit and care about who this new Bond is? Oh, I, I hope so. I hope so too. 
So but I don't. I yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So back to the film. Unfortunately, um, it was quite interesting turning this film on because you know we've been doing we've done twenty of these. This is our twenty first, and. You know, back in the day and early on, it was like, ah, oh, this 60s Bond film where we can just watch, or oh, look how sweaty Sean is, ha ha ha, good times. Uh, but now we have to actually, like, critique and watch a good film that's, like, kind of a classic. Um, and to be honest, I found it a little bit intimidating uh, as I put in the disc and started playing it. People like, oh, God, I have to actually talk about Casino Royale and why it's good. Yes, yeah. It, it's The thing is, it's one of those things where this film is so beloved and is so... Uh, well critically received I was watching it and I was kind of thinking like oh I actually have to talk about why this is good because it's it's almost just a given you know oh Casino Royale it's a great film and everyone will be like yeah great you know Daniel Craig's great in it the action's great in it but then if you, to get into the nitty gritty of it it's like why is it actually so good and I guess that's what we're going to talk about today well, we're going to try at the very least yeah yeah, but the GoldenEye one, I, I don't know. I think I was more intimidated about this one than GoldenEye. But to me, GoldenEye was on that same level. And that one, I think, turned out okay. So maybe this one can turn out okay as well. Okay, that's that's good enough for us on this podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be amazing, but there's a lot of it. Yes. <laughs> Quantity over story. quality right there, yeah. Exactly. All right. Shall we look at the film? Let's get into it. So we begin, and if you've listened to all the other episodes, normally I say, the circles appear, yada, yada, yada. No circles! None. None. Everyone flees the cinema in disgust. I came here for circles, and there are no circles. That so. was just you. That was just you who did that. <laughs> I was very loud and dramatic about it, though. <laughs> that one strange man who's leaving, and everyone's like, oh, thank God he's gone. No circles! <laughs> no Tom! Thank you. <laughs> then I leave. You're going to be so angry when there's no hat. Oh, oh oof, oof. I didn't even think about that until you just mentioned it. <laughs> there's a lot of sweaty Bond, though, so I guess it evens itself out. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so instead we get... well. Even before the film starts, we get all the production logos and stuff. Uh, MGM, The Lion, which we usually get in front of the Bond films. Uh, we just don't talk about them for obvious reasons. But this time they appear in black and white. Straight away, black and white. And we fade into the film itself. So we fade from black and it's outside a building. And it's a car pulling up to the building. And we are in Prague, the Czech Republic. So we're still getting our like opening sequence here, but yeah, everything's in black and white. Very stylish. And I remember really liking this choice back in the day, but the more I think about it, the more I don't think it makes that much sense, really. Um, Why's that? Because Bond films were never in black and white, ever. And okay, to me, like the black and white is supposed to signify time, that this is like older like, because this is kind of going for a more of an origin story. And I don't think that really works, especially because the opening of the film is in black and white. And then when we actually get into the film itself, that takes place like a week after this opening sequence and is in color. So I feel like it messes up the timeline a little bit. And perhaps I'm missing the point and that it's not supposed to be like a, oh, this has happened a long time ago. Maybe it's just purely for stylish reasons. But I don't think the timeline... Like, oh, this is, happen this is in the past, makes all that much sense. I think it is purely style. Yeah, okay. I do think it's purely style. I mean, I don't know 
I don't know if that's really needed, to be honest with you. Uh, it definitely makes an impression. I remember um, some people thinking that the, the the film like was wrong. Like, oh, why is there no colour? <laughs> <laughs> Projector? No. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't mind it. But I think um, it, I, I guess it's just that thing where it's like, right, we are we are starting from scratch. You say it's a, it's a reboot of the Bond character, and this is just a kind of way to set it out from the others. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I still don't dislike it. Uh, it's just, I have seen this film so many times, as I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of times. Uh, not that much recently, but it has been a while, but I've seen this film a lot. Um, so when I watch this film, I do kind of think about certain elements more than maybe, like, the average person kind of would if you've only seen it once or twice. And this one, the more I think about it, the more, like, in my head, this just kind of... I always saw this film when I originally saw it as, oh, this take, this opening is taking place a long time ago, and then the rest of the film is maybe taking place like 10 years in the future when Bond is more established. That's not true. It happens all around the same time. I don't know if it is a week, but we do get a reference from M saying, I only just gave him double O status, and he's already doing this. So, like, it happens in a very short time. Um, but I, I still quite like it from, like, oh, it's something different, it's a stylized thing, it's... It sets the correct tone and frame of mind for what they want with this film, which is something new and different. So I still like it. Um, I just question the timeline aspect of it. Things that call in black and white, right? It's like a noir, film noir effect. However, you could, you know, going into it, you could be like, well, this is Bond's life before being a double O. It was black and white. Oh, (laughs) maybe. And then into colour when he gets his status confirmed. I don't know. You could start going into that sort of mumbo jumbo if you wanted to. I think that kind of works, actually. I didn't yeah. think about that, but I think that does kind of work. Hmm. So anyway, so, uh, yeah, so a man pulls up inside this big, huge building. It's like uh, like one of those office buildings, like a tech company or something like that. Uh, so he pulls up, he gets out of his car. We get a lot of tilted angles here. So there's a lot of angles which are just kind of tilted a little bit. Everything's a little bit off. Something's not quite right here, but all we're really seeing is a man entering this big building, walking through, going up a lift. It's all very quiet as well, and in black and white, and it's taking place at night. Even though it's black and white, they do kind of sell the idea that this is actually taking place at night. A lot of that, I think, is with the shadows. Uh, Yeah, so we just got this eerie scene of this man walking through this big building, and eventually he gets into his office, which is also lots of shadows in there, and Bond is in the chair! Little Bond, or Daniel Craig as Bond. Little Bond. Little Bond. <laughs> Little man Bond. <laughs> he probably is the shortest one so far. I didn't. That's even... true. I think he actually is. Um, but yeah, he's sitting in the chair and Bond says, Oh, M doesn't mind about you making some money on the side as, as long as it's not selling secrets. So I'm actually not too sure who this character is because I don't think it matters all that much. It's just somebody who's like associated with MI6 who's been selling secrets to make mm. some money. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. So yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Someone in our yeah. Someone who had access to top secret information. Yeah. So he sits down. He pulls open his drawer at his desk, which has a gun sitting in there, and the man calls him Bond straight straight away. Calls him Bond. So no messing around there. And he says that well, if M was so sure I was bent, which meaning crooked or a traitor, he would have sent a double O. And he says something like. Uh, your file showed you have no kills. And then I think he might ask something like, how many kills do you need to make a double O? And Bond says two. And we cut to a very frantic scene of Bond fighting a man in a like public bathroom. 
So the scene that we're seeing with them in the office is very quiet. And then we cut straight to this one, which is also in black and white, by the way, of Bond fighting this man and punching him and stuff. And we then go back to the office and, oh, I need a better name than man. <laughs> I guess we just call him traitor. The traitor. The traitor. <laughs> yeah. The, the, so the traitor in the office then points his gun at Bond and saying, shame, we barely got to know each other. He tries to fire, but it's empty. And Bond says, I know where you keep your gun. Um, of which he kind of pulls the gun down. You're saying like, so how did the man die? My contact. And Bond says, not well. So we go back to the scene in the toilet of Bond fighting the contact. Uh, and he is just kind of choking him. Like it's a lot of punching and it's very visceral and he's choking out the contact. The the contact gr- like reaches for his gun. He grabs it. He fires. So Bond, kind of, he misses, but Bond then holds his head into the sink which is full of water and he just kind of holds it down and you see him trying to struggle and eventually he collapses and he's he's dead um and then you get a little scene of bond breathing quite heavily after he after he killed him so back to the office and the traitor is like oh made made you feel it did he uh and the man is saying oh don't worry the second is and at this point bond shoots uh, the man, and he says yes, considerably, because the point is that the the traitor was about to say, "Don't worry, the second kill is much easier." So Bond kind of shoots him, um, and then we go back to the the toilet where we see the man. The contact wasn't actually dead, um, so the man goes to shoot Bond, and we then get Bond walking. Ac- well, I don't think he walks across. Actually, he picks it up, he spins, and he shoots. And as he's shooting the man on the ground, he actually shoots the camera and we get the classic gun barrel and the blood coming down. That's when you walk back into the cinema. That's when, yeah. I was like, I was just going for a snack. (laughs) I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Sorry. So no circles, but you get the gun barrel. You get the thing as him shooting. um, And yeah, that's your opening sequence. We then go into the theme for there. So, um, I mean, it really sets a tone. (laughs) It's very short, but very impactful with what it yeah, does. Yeah, I love its short length, and I totally agree. It's very impactful. It's it's straight away changed. Like, it really is a, um opening statement of what this film is going to be about, what Daniel Craig's Bond is going to be about. This isn't necessarily going to be a happy, fun film. Like, in the previous Bond films, you just had Bond like killing tons of people effortlessly. This one is Bond like killing people pretty brutally, uh, and it makes you feel it. It's right in your face. You can't kind of look away. It's very brutal, and you feel it a lot. And I think it also is very smart in terms of showing the two sides of Bond, where Bond is in the office and he's very like stone faced. <laughs> you see that a lot from Craig, this like stone faced impression that he has. Mm. Um, but you kind of get that contrast of Bond being like that and being very calm and collected and in control in the office to then the other side of Bond, which is murdering someone and not being like that. Uh, it being a little bit more messy, this one, it being a little bit more tough. So, yeah, there's so much they pack into this scene. It's uh, it's Martin Campbell is back um, from GoldenEye and you can straight away feel his presence because everything so, feels so smart and deliberate and you really feel what's going on here you know how i can feel martin campbell's presence straight off the bat uh apart from being good like golden eye um is he likes to do and i noticed this throughout the film a few times he likes to do like really quick 
whooshes, like quick pans before something. You see it quite a few times. And I was like, oh, that's his little thing he likes doing. I've, I've, I've spotted it. I know your trick, Martin. Yeah, like when he, when he gets shot, when the, the traitor gets shot, there's like this really quick, almost kind of comedic pan over before they actually see him fall. Very over the top in a way, but but it doesn't doesn't seem stupid. It's just like the way that they filmed this shot. Um, but yeah, uh, I kind of, you've said it all there. Like this is the whole premise of this film. It was the first Bond book. Uh, this is a reboot. This is Bond becoming 007 as we know him, as we've known him since by this point, it would have been 46 years. No, 44 years, sorry. Hmm. Um, and so you're getting it immediately off the bat with him. As you say, you, you've got the cold, calm, collected, in control Bond and you've got the bond that is still kind of making mistakes is messy he's he's not doing it very cleanly he's trying to kill this guy and he's having to really struggle and drown him in this horrible way in the sink it's it's not very dignified um and it's it's great it's yeah i was trying to think as well about casino royale and about the marketing for it like was this pushed as a this is bond from the beginning was this pushed as an origin story because you'd have to kind of know that Casino Royale was the first book in a way. I don't know how, like how many general public people would know that. So would it, is it in the trailers and stuff that this is like Bond from the start? Or is it just people go in and they'll be like, oh, okay, we're, we're doing this, are we? It had to be pushed in some form. As you say, I don't think most people would know this is the first book. But I think having a new Bond, I guess, helps. And it was four years from Die Another Day, which was quite a lot back then. So... I think they probably did put it in, but I do think maybe they actually didn't really need to push it all that much, just kind of put it out there that this is a reboot of sorts. They probably didn't need to be like, see Bond reborn. Maybe they did, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I think they put it out there in trailers, but it wasn't necessarily the focus. I think it was probably more like, here's Craig doing some badass stuff as Bond, because you do get a few of those kind of trailer moments in this film, which are good moments. Um but yeah, I, I, there probably was a balance there. I would hope. Yeah, but this is this whole pre-tart sequence just goes to show that you don't necessarily need. Although I think mainly this one gets a pass because it is that origin story. But you don't need a big stunt thing to kick off the film. I think the thing that really kicks this film off is just well, seeing Craig start and and like that little messy fight and everything, and just how kind of cool he is with the black and white and know considerably line it's all that sort of stuff that just works and um like later on obviously you get more of like the big stunts and stuff when he's a bit more into the role but for now this is all very much character heavy stuff and kind of you're seeing that not necessarily just through dialogue but but through the actions here as well Hmm. yeah it's a real statement of what sort of film they want this to be because if you read up about this film being made uh, you know, it's all about, well, Die Another Day was a little out there, so maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Hmm. So this almost feels like it might have been something that they needed to pitch internally to people inside the studio and stuff to be like, look, it's a different Bond. We're doing this differently. Because, yeah, as you say, no stunt. It's just Bond killing two people and becoming a double O, which is cool in itself. But it's a huge contrast to what we had with Piers Brosnan's Bond. It's a, it's a massive one. But I do feel like parts of this character isn't necessarily, like, new like, this doesn't feel like a new Bond entirely to me in this sequence. And I'm saying this to someone who's watched this many times. Like, I think when you first watch it, it does. 
Um, but I don't think this is necessarily bringing in any new elements for Bond. It's just kind of shining a spotlight on these two specific elements, which is Bond. There's two sides of the coin with Bond: the cool, collected version and the guy who's a little bit more messy. Which Pierce Brosnan also did that. Like that also existed in the Pierce Brosnan films, and you could see the the Sean Connery ones as well. You could totally see that all the way there. That was always a part of the character, but it kind of shines a light on it in this very specific way and kind of strips it down to just those elements to cool collected guy in an office and the murderer who's just trying to survive and kill someone. Uh, and it just like yeah, that's what I like about it. I think I think this doesn't to me feel like a massive reinvention it just feels like more of a refocus and they brought in a new bond and made it done in a very stylish way to to kind of sell that which is very smart you could say they were showing his character in a very black and white manner (laughs) you could i'm going to oh so it makes me sound smart like i'm a film analyst (laughs) Mm, yes (laughs) Mm, indeed black and white Uh, manner Mm. (laughs) So yeah, so very oh. good. I will say, I don't think this is my favourite opening sequence. I think there's just not enough to it. But in terms of exactly what it wanted to be, and I mean, it's short, which is nice. Um, like, it did everything it set out to do. I wouldn't say this is my favourite, but it's definitely up there. Um, yeah, I just don't think there's enough meat on the bones for me to say it's my number one. But it would definitely be in like a top five, probably. It's not the most fun. And I think there is an element of you do want that big, bombastic, fun element to the start of the film the crazy stunts and and stuff like that but as i say we do get that eventually and i think this one is is kind of needed as this beginning of craig's tenure as bond so yeah it's still very very good very good in in my opinion agreed oh man now i've got to talk about the title sequence because that if i'd said that the the pre-title sequence wasn't terribly fun i think this is very fun um but it's just so oh man it's very hard to describe this because it's such a visual heavy title sequence but um as you know we've past few pierce brosnan ones we've been talking about daniel kleinman's uh title sequences and how they moved more into um uh what advanced more advanced cgi and and just having uh better elements to them more cohesive more polished and so you know last one we had all the ice stuff and things like that which we really liked but we're also going in a completely different manner with this one as well now. We're changing things entirely and we're not getting any sexy women on gun barrels and, oh, you know, big diamonds shining and stuff like that. We're um, we're going to like a sort of 2D rotoscoped, very flat style of um, a massive theme around playing cards and casinos because, you know, it kind of works with the <laughs> the main premise of this film and it being called Casino Royale. Um, so yeah, it's it's Bond. You're kind of seeing a story of Bond taking out all these baddies, but everyone's sort of in these very flat colours cut out, and everything's suits of like card suits. So you have like gun bullets are diamonds, and explosions are, are clubs, and and like veins are uh, the bits of the playing cards. You know, the the, the design bits of playing cards and. Yeah, there's just so much to it. I mean, I can't go into every little aspect of this, but it's very, very different to anything we've seen before in a in a Bond film. It's also it's not just the two D animation here; it's the colors as well. Yeah, where everything has like what would you call it? Gold? Is it gold? 
Oh, like the little like wispy lines and things like that. Well, there's that, but also just like the background color in general is like kind of that goldy, like a darker goldy color. And mm. then you've got like reds and blues on top of that, which are all very bold colors. Um, I think it's something that you lose with CGI, which is kind of that more simplistic look that can make things stand out and be really, well, bold, really. Uh, with CGI, you get a lot of like extra details and it becomes a bit more murky, which is fine. Um, but we've had that for a few films you now. This one stripping it back makes it so extremely striking um, and stylized. It, it it really does look amazing. <laughs> like it's it does. so it's so good having the theming here goes without saying. Casino Royale. Let's have like this casino style thing where it's all with the playing cards and ah, oh, and they just go all in with it. You know, there's no half measures here. Some of the other Bond openings you might get like a little bit here and there or here's somebody on fire because there's fire in the film but this one is like nah nah we're gonna do the playing card kind of art style and we're gonna have bond kill a load of people in using that art style and it's just ah it's so so good yeah it really is it's as you say they do go all in with it and you have bond as like the black the black colored character doing all this and all the enemies are red and it's all linking in and um you have the roulette tables that are aim like sights and they turn into roulette tables. But you also have uh, the reason why I'm saying it sort of tells a story in a way is because you're, you're seeing a lot of Craig actually in this. Sometimes he's not in that sort of rotoscope manner. It's just him um, with an effect on him, but you know, like actual footage of him. And you, what I like about this is in that very short pre-title sequence, you don't really get any big like, da-da, this is Bond, right? It's all very quiet and he's just sitting in the chair and there's the the lighting and the shadows on him whereas you know in other bond films when they've revealed the bond it's always been in a, i'm thinking like timothy dalton's you know reveal as he's turning to face the camera and stuff like that and i feel like you actually kind of get that more here in in the title sequence rather than beforehand which is a bit different you know it ends with bond with craig like walking right up to the camera kind of from the shadows and it's like there's your the money shot that's that's bond starting you know and uh yeah, I just love I love it. I think it's all so great. Did you just notice how like extremely blue Craig's eyes looked at the very end there? Yeah. Like oh, they give piercing. a real focus on his eyes, which I think is something they do with other bonds as well. But yeah, that was another aspect that the people complained about. Oh, blue eyed bond, blah 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 blah. Uh, but so here weird. they they <laughs> zoom in on it and they look incredibly blue. I got I got a little lost. I wouldn't like <laughs> I know something else that's blue that maybe people might have got lost in with this film. Anyway. Should I guess? <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll leave you to think of that. <laughs> I'll think um, about that, yeah. <laughs> but you oh. do see... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll get there. You do see at one point, uh, like, a card comes really close to the camera and it is a, it's a seven and it gets two bullet holes shot in it to form 007 and that turns into 007 status confirmed. So, yep, he's now, he is now double O agent... Um, and I guess we should also talk about the song as well, which is, oh, you know yeah, my I name. Guess, I guess we'll cover it. Yeah, by Chris Cornell. Um, very much a, a rock song, a rock song with kind of mixed in with those Bond horns and things like that. And uh, again, I just, I love it. I love this song. I think it's also, I'm a, that's sort of my genre of music anyway. I, I think I'm probably more a rock music fan than anything else. You're a else. rock and roll star. You're a bit of a I, rock rock. I, I, I had my days, you know, back in the 80s, mad times. In the mosh um, pits, yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, I think uh, it's just a great song. And I, I remember 
David Arnold, who's doing the, the score for this film, he was talking about him working with Chris Cornell on this song and, and kind of the passion they put in together. And I think it really shows um, the music. It, it works perfectly, I think, for the, the whole Bond elements and and Chris Cornell's singing. Um, and also just the idea of the song as well. You Know My Name as a title. And it's sort of like, it's almost a bit, it's got like a bit of gusto to it because it's it's saying, you know, we're, we're rebooting Bond. It's a new guy. But you know his name. You know who the character is. It's 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 like kind of showboating a little bit which i quite like oh yeah very smart though i think this approach was extremely smart where usually with these songs they take like the film itself and then they write about that um so obviously die another day and stuff you know like they they take and the world is not enough like it's very specifically tied to the film but this one feels like they didn't really write it about casino royale at all they kind of just wrote it about james bond and daniel craig now playing the character yeah which was so smart like such a good way to do if he was singing about oh would he fold or would he wait? <laughs> here comes the river guys watch out oh he's bleeding blood like I know the other songs didn't do that quite literally, but I think the fact that this can be more like a Bond anthem for a reboot that could have worked with any type of film, like if it, even if it wasn't Casino Royale, was, is very smart. And as you say, this kind of like, if you just like rock music, just listen to this song. You don't have to like Bond at all. This, yeah. is the, this just works really well outside of that because it's just a fun, energetic, well, sometimes slow as well, and then gets bigger and it's just, it's just kind of rocks. Something I really like about it, though, and you, you touched upon this a little bit, is how the the opening is very slow and, well, not slow, but quiet of the film, where it's all the black and white section is very, it's quite quiet. Um, and then you go into the song and it's very big and loud. And I really like that because usually the ones that I think work the best, going from the opening sequence into the, the credit sequence, um, is when they create that contrast. So something yeah. like A Golden Eye or Tomorrow Never Dies, they have a very like big explosive ending to it. So Golden Eye, for example, it's a lot of explosions. He's flying away in the plane. So it's very loud and big and energetic. We just saw a lot of big stuns. And then it goes into the Golden Eye theme, which is very quiet and smaller. And then that builds itself up as it goes. So I really like that they kind of take that formula and flip it on its head where instead of it being really loud opening and then starts quiet into this, they create that contrast by doing the opposite. It's very quiet, and then suddenly Bond shoots the gun, you see the classic gun barrel and blood, and then this big guitar and big Bond horns right in your face. So it creates that contrast and excitement by doing it like the other way round, and it's just like extremely effective. It's so exciting to be watching this film. And I've said this many times, what the opening and the credit sequence should do is get me excited to be watching a Bond film. And this absolutely does that, which is very good considering this was a reboot and it's a very different type of Bond film. You still feel like you're watching a Bond film and you're still really excited to be doing that. Yeah, that's it. I'd much rather that way around than the opposite. So yeah, I think it's probably one of, this is probably my favourite title sequence, I'd say. I don't think they've actually topped this one, to be honest with you. Well, I'm going to throw it out there as well. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I just shocking. Think it's so stylized. The song is so good. I can't think of anything that really matches it. So yeah, I would, I would agree. This is probably the best one. Good. I'm glad we agreed. Else, we'd have to end the podcast right now. now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, let's get into the film. Um, so we start off the film 
uh, with a small boy running through this uh, army camp. It's kind of massive torrential rainstorm. And we find out we're in Uganda in a, a, a place called, I actually looked up Mbali. There you go. Oh. Um, and yeah, it's this little boy that's running through this camp, very busy camp, and uh, goes to deliver a, a bottle of Coke to this uh, kind of mercenary looking man who's playing on a pinball machine and uh, in, in under a tent. And there's another man there, this kind of suited man who looks very out of place in this sort of tan suit who's there with him. And this uh, the guy grabs a, the bottle of Coke, gives one to the little kid and goes to sit down on this seat next to the suited man. And yeah, he's, uh, I don't think it's ever really revealed who he is, but he's, he's just some nasty sort of mercenary from uh, this area, I guess, terrorist. Yeah, yeah, um, he gets like referred to as terrorists because of, um, yeah, broad, just yeah. Ugandan terrorists. Yeah. And it's clear that they're waiting for someone to arrive um, because this guy asks about, this guy sits down and asks the suited man, uh, can I trust this guy with my money? someone I've never met before and you're sort of wondering what's going on here but um yeah they're waiting for someone to arrive and the the suited guy replies saying um I just got you the the introduction so I think he might say organization here yeah which which kind of plants the seed of like what is oh, organization what's going on here and it <laughs> that's a seed that takes a little while to actually kind of learn about but yeah all they guaranteed was an introduction to this person and we eventually see who this person is and jeeps start to drive in and out steps this man this uh, man in a black suit very smartly dressed he's got a, a scar over his left eye or like a cut over his left eye it, it's Lashif who we, we later find is Lashif uh, Mads Mikkelsen he comes and, and meets with the, the terrorist in the tent and he has his inhaler as well uh, has a quick puff of his inhaler so it's uh, we're, this is obviously the villain of the film we're seeing him very very quickly um and he's there to be basically an illegal banking service. He 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 describes to this uh, this terrorist, uh, you know, that he can take his money, and um, he's asking about, oh, you know, is there? There's no risk to you looking after my money. I can access it from anywhere. Which the chief says, yes, it's all good. And for a moment there, it's all very tense as they're just kind of standing under this tent. They're just staring at each other for a while, and you can tell this. This terrorist is kind of thinking about it, looking around, making up his mind. Eventually, I'm sure he well, he agrees because you see these great big metal boxes of money get loaded into some cars outside and Le Chief is sort of off to one side and he, he's on a, a phone and he rings up to presumably his stock advisor or someone who deals with his stocks and finances and uh, tells him to put... There's some like financial stock mumbo jumbo here but it's basically that he wants to put some money betting against uh skyfleet stock which the guy says you know that that doesn't seem very wise uh it seems like it's going the other way um but yeah he's basically betting against the market of this this airplane company and even though he's facing backlash on the phone he just says just do it in a very monotonous kind of a very monotone very calm collected manner it's very um, kind of sinister introduction to this character. Yeah, um, the guy in the suit is introduced as Mr. White in this scene. Mm. We do get his name straight away. He's just a shady character because then the jeeps leave and he just stays behind and just stares like, hmm. <laughs> so you know he's a powerful man. But 
Yeah, that's the thing about this film and the thing I'm not too sure about anymore because I definitely remember being confused by this film and missing a ton of details about it when I first saw it. Um, mm. We've talked about in the past with Bond films about how you can easily miss the details and it can take a couple of films before it all clicks. I think this is probably the worst film for that, which I don't think really hurts the film at all. It's just you see a lot of scenes like this where now I watch it, I totally understand exactly what's going on. <laughs> like It's totally fine. But definitely back in the day, like, and I think I, I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like how much of this stuff is meant to make sense to a first time viewer. Because now that I've seen it so many times, it totally makes sense. But I think there is supposed to be, like, some of the stuff you say here, like, that is mentioned here, I think you are supposed to not know a lot of it. You just know Uganda man is giving money to this Lashif character who looks a bit odd. And then Mr. White is watching all of this and he's betting on some stock that's meant to go down. Or he thinks will go down, but it's going to go up. So, yeah, I think you're supposed to have a lot of questions after this. Oh, yeah. I mean, the stock stuff. The stock stuff doesn't really come back until a fair bit later, really. Um, but then I will say that the film does kind of save it because when this stuff does come back up, it is quite like there's a scene with them where it quite clearly lays out what happened. So it's one of those things, like you say, where you're getting a little bit beforehand and then in retrospect, it makes more sense, which I've done so many times before. Hmm. But yeah, it's that kind of scene that we've seen the villain doing stuff quite early on. I think it is good that we're seeing a lot of this stuff so early this scene does become something you kind of completely forget later on. But yeah, it's nice that, sure, this is a reboot of Bond and you would kind of somewhat suspect it's going to focus heavily on him, which of course it does. But they still kind of take the time that the very first thing you see after the opening sequences is, oh, actually the villain's doing stuff behind the scenes. It's quite... I appreciate that they do that. And I appreciate that we have this scene first and we don't cut straight to Madagascar the next scene. Um because I think it kind of, yeah, it, it helps set all these people up, even if you, like, don't really know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it sets up immediately that the villain, that Lashif is uh, potentially fairly reckless. He's getting this money and then immediately spending it, and you don't really know what's going on. But, you know, the they had that scene right beforehand where they explicitly say, like, the guy says, there's no risk, and then you see him risk it. So, <laughs> hmm. yeah, there's definitely a little bit of a an insight into the man already. Yeah, there's lots to say about the chief, but I think we'll save that once we know a bit more about him in the film. So yeah, the next scene, as Tom says, we are over to Madagascar, where we see this huge bustling crowd of people uh, all in a uh, circle watching and betting on a mongoose snake fight, which, is that a thing? I, I don't know. I would guess, yeah. I guess it's just playing off the idea of Snake and Mongoose as our rivals and will fight each other. I think are the they? Mongoose usually wins that fight. So whether oh. they both exist in Madagascar, I don't know. I've only seen the animated film. I don't remember seeing that. It was mostly Ben Stiller and David Squimmer. Um, but yeah, they definitely are rivals, so I can see this being a thing. Okay, I have. I just had no clue that that was even a thing, though. So. I just thought, okay, interesting. They Got to uh, play bit. more Pokemon, Joe. It's in there. Gen 3, is it? I think. Yeah. There's, oh, what, like Ekans or something is against? <laughs> no, not, not quite. I guess we don't have time. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's a, a, whether it's a real thing, I don't, I, I think it is, but it is like this known, like, animal kingdom thing that mongooses and snakes fight each other. Arch rivals. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, there's loads of people uh, in a crowd looking at this little uh mongoose snake fight and we see that 
Bond is there. Bond is there with uh, another junior agent. I don't know if we ever get this other guy's name. Yeah, it's oh, Carter. Wait, he does. He says it on the on the on the com. Yeah, uh, Carter. So Bond is is up, kind of out of the way, further back, watching from above, and Carter is kind of in the thick of it, in the crowd. Carter is pointing out that uh, their man is there, the man that they are trying to track and and catch, um, because he's got burn burn scars all over his face. And uh, he's, a, he's a bomb maker, for which Bond says, that, um, <laughs> do they have insurance on that? But yeah, you do see this guy uh, who has got kind of scars all over his face and is there in the middle of it. And he's not too far away from uh, this Carter guy. And he gets a, a text on his phone. Um, and we see the text, like a close up of his phone. It says the word ellipsis on it. And that's it. And what does it mean? What does it mean? So what does many, it mean? So things being set up here. Ellipsis? Uh, snakes he, mongooses <laughs> what's going on I'm What's done I'm, uh, I don't understand uh, but yeah he sees that text and that kind of prompts him to start to make a move and, and leave the area so um, as Carter is watching this he's, he's talking to Bond and he keeps on he's got a little earpiece and he keeps on touching the earpiece like closer to his ear and, and putting his hand up to it which which Bond tells him off about and he'll stop touching your ear because that's what eventually gets him spotted by this bomb maker. He looks up and sees him, and uh, that's enough to to make it clear what's going on. So he starts to make a run for it out of this um, arena area. And Carter, bloody idiot that he is, <laughs> uh, he must it must be his first day on the job, maybe I don't know. But um, he goes to get his gun out, um, but Bond says that no, they need this guy alive, this bomb maker. But he eventually ends up falling in somehow, like tripping over the, the front and falling into where the mongoose snake well, fight is. Well, I think he's trying to chase the bomb maker because the bomb maker lands in the pit and runs through it. And I think Carter yeah. is trying to chase him, but he just but he falls. trips. Yeah, he just trips. Because <laughs> he's terrible. Because he's rubbish. He trips and that also causes his gun to kind of accidentally go off, um, which causes everyone to start to disperse. Everyone starts running around and it's all a bit crazy. And that's Bond's cue to... I guess take over now and uh, and start chasing the bomb maker himself. I didn't get the point of this Carter character because again, I think it confuses the timeline here about Bond and how well established he is. Because we go straight from his being established as a double O agent for the very first time and him having trouble to then this, which I again I feel like it's only meant to take place like a week or two after he becomes an agent. Like this is Bond's next assignment after the thing in Prague. But now he's like with a junior agent and he's kind of acting like the the pro and the vet where he's telling him like, put your bloody hand down and he's like having to take over. I don't, I feel like it's a bit confusing. I would have probably liked if Carter wasn't in here, not just because Carter's a bloody idiot, but I think it just, I don't know. I guess they're still also trying to establish that Bond is a vet to a certain extent. Like he is very capable. He's not a rookie he is still Bond. Maybe that's what they're going for. It's, it's a little strange. They need someone bad to make him look better. Yeah. Maybe, do you think if they'd have had a, um, I don't know, six months later on the film or something <laughs> like that? Maybe. Just to make it clear about time, the time jump, if there is any? I don't know. I don't think there is a time jump. That's the thing. But I, I don't know if they necessarily needed one. I do think, I guess Carter is supposed to be here to show that this Bond is not an idiot rookie. This is still James Bond's you can get stuff done. I don't know if you really needed that. 
and again in my head when i was first watching this film it just confused the timeline of this massively and i think it's kind of it goes between trying to say oh here's the origins of bond and how bond got established to then also being like bond is bond you know bond he's such a cool guy and he's able to get stuff done and i think sometimes it jumps around a little bit too much um not as a massive detriment of the film but i think as an origin story it gets a little bit confused with that and like they throw in elements to show him being more of a rookie or being like not a rookie but like uh you know starting out and then yeah, also around the elements edges. where he's more established and it's a gets a bit confused sometimes mm. yeah although yeah well we'll get into it there's, there's, there's some parts of this this upcoming chase where it's like they're definitely pointing out that he's not the best yet so yeah, he Bond goes to chase after the the bomb maker. I've got to keep saying bomb maker. I don't know what his name is. I Do don't you know? know either. I think it I might know. get said, but I think even M calls him the bond ma- the bomb maker. Okay, I'll stick with that then. <laughs> so yeah, uh, they they start chasing through a, a kind of market uh, and into a uh, kind of forest area, the trees and everything, and eventually they head into a construction site. This huge construction site with a uh, building some massive buildings and um i kind of should say right now that this this bomb maker is um i think it is actually the guy that like kind of started the free running trend uh like parkour stuff because we do like you know we're going to see that this guy like is very good at running and, and jumping and everything so we um we immediately get that is is jumping straight over into like over the fences and stuff and and ends up going into this construction site and taking cover um, behind some big old pipes or or something in there anyway and as bond's following you do just see him like kind of lock eyes with a, a big digger and as this guy as the bomb makers behind the pipes he gets his gun out to try and um shoot bond uh from behind it and you just see bond like immediately just crash through this entire place in that giant digger destroying everything in his way people running out of the way things getting you know crushed and it's just immediately kind of showing, like, uh, he likes to make, you know, he likes to make a mess, basically. Bond is not that um, kind of sleuthy, yeah, I suppose. Well, I think it matches the description that Frost gives Bond in Die Another Day, really. I think yeah, Bond would have yeah. done this at any time. To me, I feel like this is meant to be another one of those Bond moments. Um, and you can kind of feel that because they play a version of You Know My Name at this point. So if this wasn't a reboot or anything, I think they probably would have just played the Bond theme when the digger smashes through and starts chasing down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But no, they they were very restrictive with the Bond theme here. For the best, I think. Uh, So yeah, Bond's in there now. Um, Thankfully, this thing's got like a bulletproof window because the Bond maker does shoot it, but it's it's all good. It's fine. And uh, the Bond maker starts to climb up up a crane and into... um, where they're building and there's all these like pipes and struts and things like that and he's kind of jumping all over the place and bond follows as well and and climbs up and i think at one point he sort of he comes across a worker there and the worker tries to stop him or like hit him down or something and bond just like brushes him aside basically sort of thing and, and knocks him down and of course, I don't really know why they do this. I guess it's just they need some action and stuff on screen. But as the worker is falling off this building, uh, they also knock down a gas canister that was on no, a floor. No, so it's yeah. It, I think what happens is that the bomb maker runs into someone with a blowtorch who was welding, 
or something. He waves it at him. The bomb maker knocks him down. And because he was using a blowtorch, that was coming from a gas canister. So he knocks down the blowtorch, the man, and the gas canister at the same time. Basically, there's just a giant explosion, which kind of seemed a bit unnecessary. But <laughs> they just they just want to stick one in there, to be honest. I guess it just looks good. Um, maybe they saw it and thought, yeah, we need more, we need more booms in there. Because it doesn't really do anything. But yeah, uh, they keep on climbing up. The bomb maker is shooting some people as he's doing. So he reaches the top and jumps onto these uh, pipes that are being suspended by a huge crane. Bond does the same. He, cl- he jumps on it. And uh, as the bomb maker climbs up the cable, Bond instead kind of hits the latch of this uh, pulley and uh, kind of elevates himself up that way. Again, they would they could have played the Bond theme there as well. <laughs> there's there's many things like that's a Bond moment there. Um, yeah, so he just he just comes straight up and catches up to the bomb maker who's now on top of the crane. So now these two are like very high up, very very high up indeed. You get these big aerial shots of the two on this massive crane, and uh, they start kind of when they're close to each other, uh, like hand to hand. So also on top of the crane. There, there is a lot of Bond moments, actually, because there's one moment where the the bomb maker goes to shoot Bond with his gun and he's out of bullets. So instead, he just lobs the thing at Bond, who very quickly and, and calmly like or casually catches it and then just lobs it straight back at him and causes him to knock down. So uh, yeah, that's what also... I was talking about before with like the trailer moments of like, look at Bond being Bond. That is the one I'm I'm pretty sure was featured heavily um in advertising oh, really? and stuff i i i want to say it was because it was such a cool little moment um be, yeah because it's so quick as well but it, it sells is. it very well it's just cool little things like that just look cool so yeah oh yeah yeah and now is where they they kind of fight each other briefly and he ends up uh bomb maker ends up hitting bond off where it's dangling on the edge which gives him time to go and jump onto another crane that's just slightly lower down below this one um which bond does as well and this is kind of where you see the difference between these two characters where this bomb maker who is like very good at all this stuff at running and jumping and sliding and everything and he jumps down onto the top of this building from that crane and and lands all nice and neatly and then bond does the same but he sort of just falls down basically he falls with grace uh and kind of yeah lands kind of rough and ready on the top of it so yeah he's he's definitely being a little bit outclassed in terms of the uh the chase here by this bomb maker and uh now they're inside the building it's more of the same really you get these kind of uh wall jumps this guy does going down the elevator shaft and uh he does this jump through this t- like kind of very thin window at the top of a wall in one slick move and then you wonder what bomb uh, bond is going to do and uh he ends up just blasting straight through it like <laughs> like an animal uh through the plasterboard and just rips through the whole thing that's yeah it's all these little moments where it's you're just kind of getting this idea of of craig's bond you know Pierce brosnan would never do that there's no way hmm i guess so it, it's still very runny i stuff i guess what they're trying to sell is that it's more like blunt force yeah blunt instruments is. for sure yeah uh and at this point they've kind of reached outside now uh, or outside this building the bomb maker's working his way down, so Bond uses a scissor lift to get down as well. And the bomb maker heads towards uh, an embassy. We see a sign of it. I wrote down it was the Nambutu Embassy. I looked up, that's not a real place. Fictional oh. country. 
Oh, dear. <laughs> but it's an embassy anyway. And um, Bond hitches a ride on the back of a van uh, to kind of follow him and see him from over the other side of the wall and then uh, jumps over the wall to, to sneak in. And uh, I say sneak in. The sneak in doesn't really last for much longer, though, because uh, we see that um, the bomb maker's gone into this office where Bond just marches into just completely, you know, without a without a break in his walk. And uh, there's two men in this office. One's the bomb maker and the other's this kind of very official looking guy in a, a shirt and tie and obviously worked at the embassy in some manner. And Bond goes and um, grabs the, the bomb maker, uh, knocks out the other guy, like his head on a, a bust inside the office and causes him to collapse. Um, and Bond goes and, and takes the, the bomb maker out and, and takes him as a hostage. Although the actual the other guy isn't out cold, he he kind of comes to and presses a kind of panic alarm under his desk. So now the alarms are going off, and uh, all these guards kind of enter the building. All these armed guards enter and start shooting through the windows. There's all these kind of there's debris and glass flying everywhere as Bond is taking this bomb maker through the corridors. And uh, at one point, bomb maker gets kind of shot on his leg, kind of like very very. Uh, on like a surface level. And uh, yeah, eventually Bond enters uh, this other room, office looking room, shoots to make everyone flee and just chucks the bomb maker out the window and then jumps out himself. And he's sort of reached this courtyard area and he's suddenly very quickly surrounded by tons of people, tons of armed guards around him. So he's kind of uh, in a corner now. And uh, that guy that he knocked out earlier comes out I don't know what he says here. I didn't actually catch what he says, but he says something, which you know, Bond kind of, I think, realises the situation he's in. So he, he drops the gun, drops his gun that he's got on the, the bomb maker and pushes him, pushes him away. And just at the last second, he pulls out another gun he had from his belt, shoots the bomb maker, shoots a gas canister nearby, which explodes and causes everyone to to knock down and, and get distracted and, and uh, that's his cue to to escape with the bag that the bomb maker had and he jumps over a wall and um, yeah you see everyone getting up and coughing and kind of recovering from that blast and the man is like the, the man in the ties kind of looking in disbelief at what's just happened he can't quite believe it and uh, yeah just to quickly end the scene Bond is outside kind of in the, some shrubbery looking through the bag and inside there was a bomb, which he very carefully puts down. And there was also the phone, the phone that we saw get the text earlier. So he finds the ellipsis text and, uh, yeah, kind of takes that as the next lead. Hmm. Uh, I, I guess the interesting thing about this is uh, this feels like this is an opening sequence before the credits. <laughs> yeah, this really is. They yeah. just do it afterwards because of the pacing of it, where it's, Bond's already on the job and it starts off a little bit slow and spy and then it goes through the big chase and stuff and then yeah then you get then you get all these different layers of it but yeah if that opening sequence didn't exist the black and white one we totally would have done this instead <laughs> yeah yeah it's got all the elements you need to it I mean yeah then then all the explosions and things do make sense but it's also just a very well put together action scene uh it's one thing that we we said in Goldeneye is that Martin Campbell was very good at this sort of stuff and it shows again like it's all it all works really well i think what's really impressive about this is yeah we can talk about the action and how that kind of works but i think it's as you said about 
with Daniel Craig's Bond showing him kind of doing things differently. And I think that's just a much smarter way of selling a new version of Bond. Because when we talk about Craig's Bond, you know, he is more blunt and more to the point and is more obsessed about the mission and will do kind of whatever it needs to to get done in a more direct way some of the other ones. And I feel like that's potentially what they wanted to do with Timothy Dalton's Bond, especially with some of his dialogue. But looking back on it, I don't really know if they ever really sold that with the action itself all too well, where actually, if you look at The Living Daylights, that opening, he was just very standard. Like, he just, he didn't really do anything that any of the other Bonds couldn't have really done. And License to Kill was almost the same as well with how that goes down. But this one is like, yeah, it's it's setting this new Bond through the action by having him do things a little bit differently. I would say not really all that differently, like not massively differently to what another Bond one would do, just his version of it more to the point, more direct. And I think it actually kind of proves how they didn't really do that good of a job with Timothy Dalton, where they should have really probably sold him a little bit better through the action and through what Bond was actually doing, uh, because they do that here with Craig's Bond. And by the end of this scene, you get it. Like, you totally get it. Like, yes, there's other elements to this Bond, but you totally get what his is about. And you're kind of already on board with it because of what you've just seen. Yeah, I mean, he this is Bond kind of messing up, really. I mean, we, we learned at the beginning they need this guy alive. That's what he was telling Carter. And it didn't work out. So he ends up just point blank shooting him. And that's sort of like, in his head, that's that's the most he can do in that situation. So he's he's messed up but he sort of tries to save as much as he can. And I guess also with this scene, uh, totally agree with that as well. It's a really great ending. <laughs> he just shoots him and disappears. Um, but also something that we talked about this with Goldeneye, with that Martin Campbell does get the comedy in more than you would think. And that's something this film does as well. And even with this action, like it's just pretty funny seeing the bomb maker doing all these parkour free running moves and being very good at it and bond like he just slips through a tiny gap in a wall so bond just smashes through it like it's it it sells bond very well but it's also kind of funny like it's not laugh out loud funny but i think some people would definitely go through the scene and see all this action and seeing all the ways that bond does stuff compared to him and actually that's pretty funny like it has this nice level of humor that also makes it feel a little bit more Bond because Bond kind of does have that humor element to it. But this isn't necessarily as gritty and serious as you would think. Similar to Goldeneye, like you remember the seriousness and the grittiness, but this film, just like that one, has all these little funny elements brought in. Nothing too super in your face or corny, just something to kind of, yeah, set that tone. Uh, and it does that really well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Even just uh, this kind of like a moment where Bond... He's literally kind of shaking off his his uh, injuries or, you know, the way he's landing and things like that. And it's just, um, it's very, uh, it's just very different. And I think uh, in terms of like the whole action scene as, as a whole, like it, it moves quite nicely from one bit to the next. You know, you have it starting off in that mongoose snake fight, but then you've got, you've got the construction bit. And, and I think any, you know, it could have been that that would have ended there potentially, but but they kind of have that secondary bit in the embassy. And, you know, it's not a massively long thing, but it, it's all just flows nicely. And it's all very followable. <laughs> I knew what sure. was happening the whole way through. So that's all that helps. Hmm. And you just got moments that just stand out as well. Just seeing Bond and the Bond maker on that crane really high up. It just, 
that sticks with you. Like that's yeah. something you talk about after the film. And as you said, there's a lot of aerial shots of when they're really high up. But I really like how it is shot because you get the sense of height. But they don't do that thing where they point the camera down. They actually keep the camera far away and spinning. I think it's something Goldeneye did as well. Martin Campbell likes to kind of spin that camera around a point. Um, and, and he does that here as well. So seeing two men fighting each other really high up and having the camera spin is really cool. Like you you buy it. It's really tense. Um, and seeing them go back and forward. So, yeah, just really, really good stuff. <laughs> um, and I think this is probably one of the, the most memorable scenes of the film because of how well it sells Bond and has it as its own, like, standalone action set piece. Yeah, for sure. So we have Bond catching the bomb maker, kind of, <laughs> getting his phone anyway. Uh, we cut to a woman coming out of the ocean getting onto like a ladder to climb onto the boat it's very like romanticized uh for such a quick shot anyway so she gets onto the boat and walks inside the boat uh because it is quite a fancy like yacht really um yeah quite a fancy rich man's yacht and we see that lashif is in there and also i have to point out the shot where the woman enters and has the background yeah right (laughs) yeah just not i thought that too it's I never noticed the, that before. Yeah, I never noticed that before as well. But yeah, there's not many of those moments in this film, but it's kind of surprising. Like they have the shot, but for some reason it just looks really fake. But mm. anyway, so she's in there. Uh, she she walks in and the sheaf is playing um, against someone and we see his eye starts bleeding. He starts getting a little tear of blood from his eye. So he kind of taps it with his handkerchief. I, don't, I can't remember what he says. I think he says, don't worry about that. That's fine. Um, so they are playing poker. This man and... Or the chief and this man and this man's wife, we assume, is there watching the game. Kind of a, an older couple. Um, so the chief goes all in. And he then says, you have a 17.4% chance of making a straight, which is what you need to beat me. And stares at him for a bit. The man looks looks a bit worried. And then he folds. So Lashif wins. Um, someone then comes over to him. I think it's this bald man that we see. He's not like a named character, but he's kind of always around Lashif, kind of giving him info and helping him out. Um, but he goes and whispers something in his ear. So we then cut to Lashif and the man in a different room, and he sees an article on a computer, which is all about Bond in Madagascar. So it's like a British agent has killed uh, some bomb maker or something like that. And they talk about when will ellipsis expire? And they say 36 hours. And she says, well, that's fine because that's all the time I have anyway. As a quick puff of the inhaler for good measure, because that's his thing. Uh, And (laughs) he then says, tell our guests they have five minutes to leave. Or if they don't leave, just throw them overboard. So should we talk about the bleeding eye thing now? Yeah, if you want to. Yeah. I'm I'm so torn on the sheaf as a character as a whole, but what they try to do with this film is keep the villain as someone who's like visually distinctive or has some sort of physical attributes that's unique. And for this one, the sheaf has like a scar over one of his eyes, and one of his eyes looks like I don't know if they ever say if he can see out of it or not, but he looks like it's blind. It's all kind of milky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very milky. And then he kind of bleeds a bit and I've gone back and forth over this over the years. 
it doesn't really bother me that much anymore but there was definitely a time where i'm just like this feels a little bit forced and like a little bit of a nothing the kind of thing i probably would have preferred if he that didn't happen but i guess nowadays i don't really mind so much i guess it it helps so like make him look like a bond villain so i suppose i'm okay with it but i wouldn't really say i'm all that into it either i think it's you're right it it seems a little bit tacked on like oh the villain needs something um but yeah i don't Mads Mikkelsen is such a good actor. It's like he doesn't he doesn't need a kind of gimmicky thing like that. Lashif would have been a just as good a a character without it. I mean, it doesn't really add much anyway. There's just a couple lines in the film that reference it. So I'm kind of the same. I don't hate it, but I, I could have done without it to be honest. I don't mind. Mm, yeah, it feels a little bit much. I think, and you, you might disagree with the, me with this. I think Skyfall did it better, where the physical thing is one scene and one scene alone, and then it never comes up again. <laughs> um, and I actually kind of like that a little bit more because it allows the character mm. to just be their own character. And I think maybe yeah. this would have worked a little bit better if it was a thing, but they just save it for one moment. But instead, throughout the film, he just has to like touch his eye because he bleeds from his eyes sometimes. It doesn't mean anything. He just does it sometimes. So, um, And also, it doesn't tie into his character really at all. Like, I don't even think they ever explain what's going on with his eye and the scar. I guess they don't need to. But it's just like, oh yeah, this is just a guy who bleeds blood and has a scar. Like, I don't think they ever say why that's the case. No, I don't think so. No. Where at least with Skyfall, I don't want to talk too much about Skyfall because we're not there yet, but they they have it and they give a story explanation for it and is a part of the character's backstory. This one is just like, yeah, he just bleeds from the eye. So that's pretty neat, right? It's a good visual thing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, And that that's what this film's all about. Trying to balance the older Bond stuff to still make it feel like Bond while also stripping some of that stuff away so it feels like a reboot. And that is an extremely difficult difficult balance. I think overall they did a pretty good job. And this is one of those where I feel like, okay, we need to tip the balance to make it feel more Bondy. So we're going to show the villain and have him be very distinct as a Bond villain. So this is our way of doing that. Um, and I, I understand why they did that. But... I don't think it really adds too much. Yeah. So we then cut to Westminster in London. And yeah, we, we see the uh, exterior shot. So then we go inside and we see M storming through this building, coming out of these doors all mad. And she says, I report to the prime minister. Who the bloody hell do they think those people are? How dare they ask us what we do? Um, and then she goes on to talk about how could Bond be so bloody stupid? Uh, so a lot happens here so I didn't get all the dialogue but yeah she's been questioned by some MPs and stuff and she's not happy about it because she's being uh, quizzed about what happened in Madagascar so she says how could Bond be so stupid if an agent did that something uh, back in the day if an agent did something that embarrassing they would defect and then she's all like Christ I missed the Cold War (laughs) (laughs) well it's still Judy that's the thing yeah yeah they you know there's new Bond but they didn't get rid of M or the same M. I think it's the only thing that carried over, right? Yeah, I think so. They rebooted everything else, stripped away a lot of stuff, and only Judy Dent remained, which, well, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's great. And I think uh, it really pays off for them because of the way she pairs with Daniel Craig's Bond. So awesome. I'm very glad she's back. I wonder if that was a decision because there's no where this is a reboot and they they do strip it back as you say there's no there's no queue in this film there's no uh, money penny in this film 
but I guess they kind of realize oh, we still do need an M. There's still going to be a mission. There's still going to need to be a briefing and, and yada, yada, yada. So I wonder if that was a conscious decision to be like, okay, well, it's a new bond, but maybe we should keep Judy as that kind of straw, that link between the previous films and just not kind of scare people off too much with a completely brand new everything. Oh, yeah, it, it massively helps having her here and ground it a little bit. I mean, yeah. she's just such a great presence in these films anyway, so having her here massively helps. But I think some of it must be because they knew what direction they were going to take Bond, and I think Judy Dench as M is a, just such a good contrast for that. It's all the same ideas we already saw with Piers Brosnan, but it's a bit more of a commitment for that. And when they kind of touched on these ideas with Judy Dench as M in the last films, it worked really well. She can put it off. So I think Bond being that blunt instrument and going through his arc in that way, having M be Judy Dench works incredibly well. And uh, she's such a great part of this film, as she was in the other ones. And I think the story they try and tell, it totally makes sense that she would portray this role. And that Bond would need a a higher-up figure, I guess, to bounce stuff off of. Like, he needs someone like that. And having that be a familiar face, but also quite a stern face. Oh, it's it, just perfect in this role. It is kind of a bit of a confusing thing to do, though. And I don't, I don't hate that they did it, but it is weird that they have kept M the same and Bond different for the reboot. But the reason why it kind of works is because... It's why it works and it doesn't work at the same time, is that what they do do with M and Craig, uh, Craig's Bond, they do... There's definitely an arc to their relationship. And it's, it's almost like you needed Judy as the M that's kind of been around for a bit longer, that knows Bond, and there's that attachment there. But it's it's an attachment to the Bond character, not necessarily Craig, because obviously he's new in this film. It's very... I don't really know how... I'm not describing it very well, but it's like she has been in the franchise for a long time, so she's that kind of foundation. So that's why it then makes it better. It works better when they have that idea of Bond, like, growing, you know? Even though it's meant to be a new Bond, so really it should be her seeing Bond fresh, say, saying the whole... I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur all over again because they're meant to be new. But it's almost like that's in the back of our head. We know that she's done that. So I don't know. That was a messy way of saying that. But basically, I'm glad they kept Judy. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. But yeah, it's almost coming at it from the other angle where in GoldenEye, Bond was the established entity and Judy Dench is the new person coming in and assessing and saying, oh, well, you're an established agent. I think you're a dinosaur. But now this is the other way where I feel like M is the established entity and it's Bond coming in. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that works really well. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like there is like this implied history between the characters because of the history of the films, even though that's not the case here. But I do think it works because, you know, there's no a woman being the head of MI6. <laughs> uh, it's just she is the head of MI6. And yeah. obviously she's a vet, so it works well for a younger James Bond to bounce off her. Mm. So with M all mad, which, yeah, it's a fun little scene introducing her. It's very quick, though. Um, we go to Bond in a very dark room. More shadows here. I think Goldeneye did this as well, where Martin Campbell loves to have these, like, kind of not lukewarm, like these warm colours, but then put like a ton of shadows in the scene. Um, so we actually kind of get that quite early on with this. Um, so yeah, Bond is looking on a computer or a laptop, I think it is, and he's looking through the bomb maker's phone and he tries to track where the ellipsis message was sent from. 
And he was eventually able to find that it came from the Bahamas, came from somewhere called Paradise Island, and it came from the Ocean Club. It's the Ocean Club, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Ocean Club. I put blood in there. The Ocean Blood. Ocean hmm. Blood. But it's like blood with a U. Oh, yeah, blood. <laughs> yeah, blood. Yeah. So, so the Ocean Club. Um, and he copies that data to a USB. I don't know why. Don't worry about it. Um, and at this moment, you know, that he knows where the message was sent from. M enters the room through a lift and turns on the light and sees Bond sitting there. So, yeah, again, this scene is shot in a very similar way to the, the M scene that we got in Golden Eyes. The same colours, same sort of look. Um, and she straight away says, oh, you've got a bloody cheek. Um, and it's a lot of M telling Bond off for storming an embassy. And th- there's a back and forth here where she's saying, like, you weren't meant to kill the bomb maker. We were trying to find out how a terrorist group was being funded. And all you did was kill one bloody bomb maker. That's not helpful. Um, and I think she's like, well, how did you even get in here? And Bond, it's like a little bit of a joke. Where Bond says, like, oh, I looked at your file and I thought M was a randomly assigned letter. I had no idea it stood for. And then she says, utter one more letter and I'll have you killed. Um, so that's quite fun. So, now. Yeah, so M saying, oh, it was too early to promote you. We shouldn't have done. And Bond says, well, double agents have a very short life expectancy, so you won't be regretting that for long. And... Yeah, it's it's quite heavy dialogue here. Not heavy, maybe like heavy's not the right word. Just like similar to that scene in Goldeneye, it's very like broad scale thing where M's like, "Oh, arrogance and self awareness hardly go hand in hand." And she says, "I want to know that I can trust you." And at the moment, I don't know if you can, if I can trust you. So she says, "Go stick your head in the sand somewhere. Go and lay low." Um, and she's saying how everyone's after your head at the moment because of what you did, and I'm very seriously considering handing them over. So Bond goes to leave, enters the lift, and um, says, one more thing, don't ever break into my house again. Bond goes into the lift, goes down, and as Bond disappears, M looks and sees that Bond was on her laptop, and the laptop is still on, so assumably she goes over and, and takes a look. So I, I mentioned that GoldenEye scene, the one where M and bond sit down and the dinosaur stuff happens and it's because it's such a similar scene um i don't think this one is quite as good but then i don't think it really had any chance to be quite as good to be honest but as m telling bond off and bond again being a little bit cheeky having these jokes in here about how he broke into a house and stuff like that that's all that's all quite fun so yeah very similar to that golden i scene i would say probably not as good but still kind of good and hard-hitting and big scope and funny in, in all the right ways yeah yeah i like this scene uh the, the end scene with where, where m says don't break into my house ever again it's a very ominous shot it's like this very kind of close-up profile which is in shadow it's like oh m's scary don't mess yeah. with m <laughs> don't mess with judy uh but yeah it's it's like a nice quiet scene just like the other one was and the the kind of back and forth quite quite uh Maybe not witty. Witty's later on with with Vesper, but like, yeah, just quite cutting dialogue back and forth. And what well, everything that M says in this is in this scene is so it's just more of that. You are getting an idea of of who this Bond is to begin with. You know, she just literally just says, you know, a blunt instrument, and that yeah, we've seen that. We've seen him be that in the scene in in Madagascar. So 
Um, it's definitely an important scene, and it, it kind of sets the foundation for a lot of the two together later on. Uh, and yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think I do prefer the scene in Goldeneye, but I, I, I think it's still pretty good. Yeah, I don't think it, it's... I only really compare them because they're so similar. Um, mm. But it's kind of a nice mix-up, I guess, to have it actually take place in, in M's house and having Bond break in. Like, you know, they're dropping all these little things about this being early on with Bond. So the idea that at one point Bond did break into her house and she's like, don't ever do that again. And he never did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kind of like that, um, that more subtle thing of establishing their kind of relationship. They clearly already have a relationship. Like that clearly is already the case. But kind of dropping in these little seeds in there, that makes it feel like it is quite early and establishing some kind of boundaries. But... But yeah, this is where I get confused because M's like, I only just, I, it, it was too early to promote you. I only yeah. just did that. So yeah, yeah, there, there can't be that much of a time jump. My question is, does M go to get a drink at any point? Is she drinking? Ah, oh, well, she, she did only yet. just walk in. Well, I mean, it is M though. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'm maybe, sure maybe she does early. drink. I'm sure she does in this film. I don't know if must it was be. here, but she must have done. I hope so. I hope so too. And also there's the whole randomly assigned letter thing, which I think we do get a payoff for that later, although I don't think it makes any sense. In in another film? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think they contradict that moment in the later film. Yeah. Oh, well. In the moment, it's quite nice, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, there's we won't go over all of those, but because this is like the first film in the, the Craig storyline, which pans over five films... And a lot of things change during that time, but they still connect them all together. There's definitely some things that seem like a little bit odd in hindsight. It doesn't really matter that much. This is the first film, but there are things in this one that maybe is like, that doesn't quite add up and match. And that's Mm. because there was a lot of, uh, mm, (laughs) a lot of rearranging, a lot of bending to make things fit. So all the films come together. Yes. A lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yes. So we cut to a plane, and this is in the Bahamas. Bond lands, or the plane lands, and Bond gets off. And this was a bit disappointing, uh, because this is the first time we get to look at Bond in a suit. It doesn't look very good. Is, is, he, is he wearing a suit? Well, he's got, like... So obviously the rest a, of the, the scene is in the white shirt, but yeah. he is wearing a, a grey suit jacket when he gets off the plane. Oh... See, this is the thing. He hasn't got his he hasn't got his style yet either. <laughs> no, which they do establish later, which is so silly. Um, but yeah, this was they kind of. I think this was all very deliberate. Where it's like, look at Bond in this bad suit, because then they cut to Bond just driving a Ford, just yes. like a, your ba- <laughs> your basic Ford car, just like a normal car as well. <laughs> yeah, I did think that. It's just, he's got his, his forward, he's on his Sony Ericsson phone, everything's Sony, obviously, in this film. But, but yeah, I feel like this is normal. supposed to be a joke, because they play You Know My Name over the top of this. <laughs> so I, I feel like it's meant to be funny, but I didn't find it funny. <laughs> I did, uh, yeah, I, I, it definitely stood out to me. I don't know if it was very funny, but yeah, it's like, oh, what, ew, why is he driving that for? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, the car was kind of funny, but yeah. Because, you know, we've had that in the past where they play the Bond theme during something that's not very cool to highlight it. So I feel like that's kind of what they were doing here. So so when I say they're playing the main theme, we get a ton of different versions of You Know My Name throughout this, which is part of the score. Um, so this is just kind of one of them. But 
yeah i i guess we'll save it for later but i'm not that big into some of these sort of ways they handle stuff like this like i guess it's funny bond driving a ford but they literally did this joke in die another day and now we're doing it again and i feel like i would have preferred to not do it than what than actually doing it yeah there's no nice scene with q where he gets his nice new car though he's stuck with the rental yeah, well, yeah, that's true. But but anyway, so uh, Bond is driving. Uh, he he's straight away out of that suit jacket. He's he, like we don't see him in that suit jacket again. He is does go for more of a classic look that looks pretty good, which is like a white shirt and I, I want to say grey smart trousers. So he's using his phone as a GPS to get to the Ocean Club. Which can you even imagine? So, some sort of high tech <laughs> witchcraft that is. Well, I love how they've got this... Yeah, it's GPS, but it's on this tiny phone still yeah. as well. <laughs> it's so small. Yeah, it's like something you would play Snake on, but yeah. like it's got a GPS to try and steer him to where the Ocean Club is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of like... We're not quite there yet. I mean, it's pre-iPhone, so yeah. <laughs> we're still on this sort of phone. It was just impressive it was a colour screen. That's why everyone really saw. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what ringtone he had. Oh, some midi thing he bought from the back of a magazine. <laughs> Crazy frog, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he arrives at the Ocean Club and the valet take his car away and he's kind of standing outside the club, scoping it out. Two women tennis players just check Bond out and are all like, hey. Oh. And then just oh. leave. <laughs> yeah. And we never see them again. They got tennis to play. They're, you know. <laughs> but they like, oh, very strange. I, I guess they're trying to sell this idea of Bond as a ladies' man still, but I don't... It seemed very awkward because they're just like, hmm. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. It's Daniel Craig. Why not? But it was very strange <laughs> the way they did it. Yeah. It was a bit, very, it was very front and center in the camera, wasn't it? Yeah. So, especially because they're tennis players as well. Like, there's, anyway. So, so Bond goes to tie his shoe. So he goes down, ties his shoe, but he's not really tying his shoe. He's mostly just doing that as a cover to look around. And he sees there's two cameras at the front uh, which at the time i assumed meant oh he's worried about going into the club because there's cameras and he's a spy but that's actually not the case um he's looking at those cameras so he knows that oh there's some video footage of the front of this place that i can go check out in a second Mm. yeah where the text was sent yes um so yeah so he sees the cameras pointing down and then as he's still tying his shoe and looking around a very rude man somebody looks like he's about to go golfing it's all like are you gonna are you going to take this for me or make me wait? And throws the keys at Bond. And he's like, sorry, sir. Right away, sir. So the man thinks that he was a, a valet or part of the valet service. So Bond takes the car. He gets in. It's this Range Rover. He he drives into the car park to park it. And this was quite a funny moment. He like perfectly parks the car. Like as in like flawlessly parks it like really quickly into the space but then he just backs up into another space and crashes into a parked car. All the car alarms go off. Bond gets out of the car, walks away, and just throws the car keys away. <laughs> now, I've got a question about this this little scene here. Yeah. I want to see if you if you got this, because I certainly didn't. I was just reading about it uh, after watching. But that character that gives him the car keys um, and kind of moans at him, you're going to make me wait, is, uh, he's got a very clear like German accent when he says that. And he's in... As you say, he looks like he's going to go to play golf. So he's in this this jumper with a like a checked kind of pattern on it. Oh, and are you going to say Land Rover is gold coloured? Oh, 
But I just I I just thought that was like really I read that I thought no that's kind of stupid but then it is all there so maybe it was on purpose I don't know is this something someone has ever confirmed or is this just a fan theory about I it? think this is just a fan theory yeah I can see where they're coming from but I didn't even pick up the accent properly he only talks once hmm yeah now, I don't know now he I is s- with somebody else if that guy was like four foot <laughs> <laughs> not four foot so that guy had like a bowler hat on. Yeah, that might be. I was bit Korean. Too much. <laughs> Maybe that would have done it, but it's just a dude. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea of it, but also not. So um, I'm, I'm not surprised you didn't catch it because I didn't either. No, I didn't catch that. But I don't know. It kind of makes sense. But that seems like a very strange thing to do. Yeah, especially because like Die Another Day had all these references in, and this is a reboot. Why would they do such a like a reference like that? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. I so don't I don't know. think it's the case. I'm going to say. It's just uh, just happenstance, I suppose. Yeah. But this is another case of just like, yeah, just this comedy. This stuff of Bond being kind of a jerk. (laughs) For good reason. um, But also enjoying it. I'm not sure if he smiles in this scene, but you get a lot of scenes of Bond doing something and then like smiling afterwards. He doesn't say anything. And this one, I don't think he does smile, but it's clearly him enjoying himself. Somebody was rude to him. So he just, oh, it's so funny that he just parks it so perfectly so quickly just to then mess it up and then like throw the car keys away toss them away yeah yeah Yeah. it gives it it plays into what we already saw with the action where it's very matter-of-factly blunt to the point but they can take that same personality trait and make it a cool action scene but also they can make it like a smaller comedy scene and you bias the same character and it's this version of bond that would kind of do that it's it's this coming from the same place it's just a, a bit funnier yeah Uh, So Bond kind of uses all this commotion to sneak into the security office. So he walks into the Ocean Club and because people are running off and you see the golfer and like run off as well to go and check check out the car. So Bond sneaks into a security office and there's a load of screens there uh, showing different parts of it. And he sees the golfer arguing at the car with a load of people at the fillet and he smirks at that. (laughs) (laughs) I really like those moments. We get quite a few of those. Yeah. Um, so Bond gets out the bomber's phone and he gets up the ellipsis message and he sees the exact time and day that the message was sent. So then he turns around and he looks through all the CDs of the different security footage. He finds that day, he puts it into the machine and then he starts like rewinding or fast forwarding through it to find the exact moment when it was sent. So he manages to sync it all up and he sees a man get out of the car outside of the ocean club and send a message on the phone so he pauses he compares the times and he sees like the person who sent the message so he now knows who that well he can see the person anyway um and the car that they were driving as well because they pulled up to the front of the ocean uh club and then there's bond here somebody outside so we just then cut to bond going to the reception of the hotel and or the club which is also a hotel i suppose i never really know with bond films because it's like hotels connected to these really big fancy areas i felt like die another day did this as well and this is it so it's like the ocean club which is also a hotel like bond always always finds himself in a hotel somewhere oh he has to yeah that's part of the script you gotta have that hotel scene yeah actually there's there's a couple in this film isn't there yeah 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 that's very true but yeah they always combine like a location with a hotel and maybe i'm just poor and sad and don't know about these things maybe that's how it's done i don't know maybe i learned something (laughs) watching these 
We'll get there one day, Tom. <laughs> Maybe. No, actually, no. I don't, well, I won't anyway. <laughs> Save up and go to like one of these locations. <laughs> Spend all my all my savings and then end up on the street. But it was worth it because I could be like Bond for one day. Yeah, it's like, Joe, why did you spend like 10 grand on that holiday just to break into the security office <laughs> <laughs> and smash somebody's car and throw away the key? Why did you? But the the, the film, the casino, just like they're already handcuffing me by that point. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we've all seen the film, buddy. <laughs> That's what they all say. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Bond leaves and he goes up to the reception and speaks to the woman there and he's like, Oh, I, I want to do a booking, but I don't have a reservation. Very embarrassing. So she says, we have the Ocean View Villa that you can book. And he's like, perfect, book that. And he also says, uh, I've, I accidentally nicked the door of an Aston Martin. So the car that was in the footage he saw was an Aston Martin. And he's saying, oh, I accidentally nicked the door. So I, I want to go and apologize. Who was that? So it's, she explains that it was Mr. Dimitros. Yeah, Dim- Demetrius. Yeah, Demetrius. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, and she says, "I would if he didn't notice, I wouldn't mention it because he doesn't take bad news very well." And she's like, "What if I was so inclined?" Or he, Bond says, "What if I was so inclined?" And she says that he has a house just up the beach. Um, my final note in this one is that she looks like someone from Austin Powers <laughs> to me. Oh wow! What really? <laughs> Maybe it's a specific actress that I'm thinking of. Maybe the woman who was like who was in the second one, but she did, she gave me Austin Powers vibes, not because of the way she acted, but she just looked like that type of character. I don't know. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't get that. I'm going to be honest with you. Fair enough. (laughs) I kind of wish I did. That sounds fun, but I didn't. Yeah. But this is all classic spy stuff. It's, it's kind of going, it's going through the motions a little bit, but I guess, you know, you need to go through the motions. We've seen, him as the cold killer in the opening we've seen him as the big action crazy guy going through the construction site in madagascar we've seen him talking to m sitting down so now this is some more direct spy work where he creates a distraction he has a bit of fun with it he goes in does some spy work he figures out where the message was sent from it's it's nothing really kind of amazing but it's it's like it's a new bond so let's see this stuff and it's all pretty solid yeah it's it's not the most it's not the most crazy interesting parts of the film, but the way they do it, the little moments of comedy they throw in there, the German character and all that sort of stuff, it 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 just makes it all still very very entertaining. You know, it's, it doesn't reach highs, it, it, but it doesn't need to. It's just sort of like the filler bits in between uh, the bigger set pieces. So uh, it all works, it's all good. Yeah, and it's a bit more of that charm as well. Uh, it's Bond. I guess they're trying to put the idea of him being quite charming, like talking to this woman at the reception and also the random tennis players who are like, hey, I think they're trying to put that in there. That's another element we haven't really seen yet and we don't see massively in this film for the idea that Bond can go up to anyone or here's a beautiful woman, so Bond is going to go up and be quite charming. Uh, there's a little bit of that here. It's not really what Craig does in general, but they're trying to put some version of that in here. So you could be like, oh yeah, that's Bond. I know the guy. Yeah. So from that, we cut to a nice big sparkly shot of the sea glistening and a woman riding on a white horse down the beach. And uh, she's in a sort of, it's not quite a bikini, but um, she's been chased by being followed by all these children behind her. These little boys kind of look on as she as she rides off. Uh, 
adoringly, like adoringly, just like, ah, oh, <laughs> she goes off. Uh, and then we go back to the sea because we get uh, a shot of Bond. We get the shot of Bond. This is the, one of the infamous <laughs> shots. Infamous shots. This is like one of the, the screen grabs that was in all the papers as uh, as Craig, as, as Bond kind of rises up out of the sea and stands up and starts to walk out. And you see he's obviously uh, topless and he's got these little skimpy blue shorts on. Um, but yeah, you get a, a proper shot of Craig and, you know, he's beefy. And this is what everyone was in in all the newspapers and stuff. It was like, oh, wow, this is the new James Bond. And um, but like, whoa, sort of thing. It's all very, all very kind of, <laughs> but yeah, all very like looking back on it, like, oh, yeah, of course, of course they're going to do that. Not great, but still, yeah, um, this is like, well, I think one of the things that people would talk about most if they mention about Casino Royale is this shot. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's people say it's like, oh, it's like Honey Rider coming out of the sea from Doctor No. I don't know if that was intentional. I guess so. But I think it's just Bond coming out of the sea. I think it is as well, yeah. I don't think it's meant to be that reference. I mean, if, if you believe a lot of these are references, then this film feels very much like Die Another Day. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going they... to believe they're not references. Like one film ago, the Halle Berry one, yeah, that was definitely it. But I think this is just a, they just wanted a shot of, of muscly Bond, you know, because you know, he's got a good body, so they're going to show it off. But there's um, not much to it anyway. Like, it's like 10 seconds, if that. Like, he just walks out of the ocean. <laughs> That's it. It's just, it's just those skimpy blue shorts, Tom. People loved them. Well, I have a pair now. You know, we were all wearing <laughs> them after seeing this film. Yeah, somehow I don't look as good in them. <laughs> I thought not it was sure. just the shorts. I have to, what, exercise? and oh. Yeah, I was hoping the shorts would be enough, but they're not. Damn. <laughs> Anyway, uh, as Bond uh, walks out of the sea, he kind of clocks eye, locks eyes with um, the woman on the horse as she's getting off and like yeah, dealing with the reins and everything. And they look at each other, and there's kind of a bit of flirting between the two. And uh, Bond looks up and sees uh, someone looking out on a balcony, kind of watching them. And uh, that's kind of it for that scene. It's just a little bit of a kind of glamorous shot there um, as Bond. Bond finds out about that woman, and uh, we then cut to M in bed, asleep, uh, next to her husband, presumably, who I don't think we ever see again or is ever mentioned about, but she's next to someone in bed in the middle of the night because uh, she's woken up by a phone call, very grumpy, and um, she's woken up, uh, and it's MI6 on the phone because uh, they have they've been able to track Bond. Bond has logged into their secure website using... M's credentials and she's like how the hell does he know these things <laughs> oh so good uh, but yeah M kind of gets up kind of sits up in bed and, and taps this little button on her bedside table and it turns into this big screen like flips up from it which seems a little bit unnecessary although I guess it's being used now but like how often does she have things in the, in the middle of the night probably uh, a lot probably a lot actually given her role it's, it may be a good use of money there but yeah it flips up and uh, they can basically see what Bond is doing um, using her login. And uh, he's looking up who he saw on uh, the the balcony, who's Demetrius, kind of looking and, and finding his file on MI6. Uh, and M, M actually recognises him, calls him a slimy bugger. Uh, and we then see Bond actually doing this searching in his villa on a laptop, probably another Sony Vio. Everything's Sony in this film. And yeah, he keeps going through all the associates until uh, he comes across Le Chief, who M, again, 
he recognises and it's like, sheaf. So yeah, that's kind of setting in motion about uh, getting uh, MI6's attention to it all. And we then go back to the uh, Ocean Bay. I guess it's their casino. They've got everything at this place. Uh, It's nighttime and uh, Bond is there and he's at the bar watching Demetrius play a game of poker. He's playing a game with some other people. And um, did you actually catch? So he's at the bar and uh, the someone from the bar comes over and says, what do you want? Did you catch what he orders? No, because it just looks like a tall glass of water to me. Well, here's the thing. This is all the stuff about this is not the bond we, we know quite yet. It's no martinis. Not yet. It's Because uh, I, I went back and listened because, oh, that's not a martini. What is that? It's a large Mount Gay and soda. So it's, it's just rum. Rum oh. and soda. But I guess you're in the Bahamas, so... Yeah, yeah I, uh, I guess Malgain is white rum. It has to be, because, yeah, that just looks like a tall glass. I, I, I assumed it was, like, water, but because otherwise, what would that be? Like a gin and tonic or something? But, oh, fair enough, Mount, Mount Gay rum. Yeah. And so with that, he uh, he goes and joins the poker table that Demetrios is playing at and um, starts to, like, wants to go play with them. Then the lady from the horse comes in. From the horse? Yeah, from the horse riding. Uh, <laughs> on the horse she rides the, in she, <laughs> she just trots in no I think her name is Sol- Solange is Solange name. I don't think I don't know if we ever hear that but I'm, instead of saying horse lady I'm actually going to say her name because that feels weird saying horse lady all the time <laughs> yeah Solange so she comes in uh, all kind of very glamorous in a nice dress and everything and comes over and kisses Demetrios although he's kind of angry and says uh, if that was for good luck you're two hours late so she goes off and sits very lonely at the bar instead and we're kind of there's a bit of a a skip forward in this game of poker and because bond has got some winnings and uh, the game has progressed a little bit now it's just in this particular round it's bond versus demetrios and um demetrios tries to bet like twenty thousand dollars but the uh the car dealer says you know table limits you can't do that sir so instead because his car keys are on the table he says he puts that in and, and offers his car instead his aston martin uh, into the pot, which Bond ob- obliges to. So just give him a chance to win his money back. And they they do their, they reveal their hands and a little bit of a taste of things to come, I guess. But uh, Demetrius reveals like three kings, which, oh, that's a very good hand. Oh, he's got this in the bag. But then, of course, Bond has to do one better. So he shows three aces and, and he wins. He wins everything. So um, he wins the Aston Martin. So that's how he gets his Aston Martin. And even asks for the valet ticket as well, uh, like a bit of a cheeky, cheeky uh, line to him. Yeah, I think it's really smart that they did a poker scene so early on. As mm. you say, it's a very small scale one, but this film is a lot about poker and we get a very intense poker scene later. So I think having a smaller one to get that in there, very, very smart. And I just love how classic Bond this whole scene feels. Like this could have been in any other Bond film, really. If you swapped out the drink, it was just pretty woman walks in to bad guy. Bad guy's a jerk and bad guy's all arrogant. And he's like, I want to bet big and Bond to kind of like beats him anyway. And it's all, it feels so classic Bond that it was just really enjoyable to have this here. Again, this feels a little bit like, I don't want to say going through the motions again, because that's not fair. It's more like, let's get through some of these classic Bond checklists small bit villain playing a game against bond and bond winning with a beautiful woman involved tick 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 <laughs> so i actually really quite enjoyed this yeah yeah it's it's one of those things where 
I was reading a bit about like what people's thoughts were on all the, the poker scenes of Casino Royale because they have to make it tense and, and interesting. So they always have to have these like silly outcomes of, of the card hands and things. But I do think this film, it, it has to do that and it, it does it well. Like it does make these little, obviously later on when we have the main poker game is, is way more tense, but like you just, it's spelling out all these little, little elements of the film, even so much as, um, Solange coming in and kissing Demetrios is exactly what we see later on happen with Vespa. Like maybe that's where Bond kind of gets the idea from, but yeah, like it's uh it's just like a mini version of that and um, kind of sets everything up very nicely. Yeah. And yeah, as you say, it is kind of a bit silly, the triple King and triple aces thing, but I kind of wish we had, now we get later in the film, Bond explains how he plays poker, which is great. I love that. But it does mm. make me think about, I think it was For Your Eyes Only, wasn't it? Where Bond is talking to Chrissy about how he plays. Oh, what, when they're eating dinner? No. Maybe, no. Yeah, uh, no. Yeah, like before the dinner scene, and then that leads into the dinner scene. The one with Bucky or Bunky, I think he was called. Oh, yes. Yeah. Poor old Binky or something. <laughs> it, was, it was like, I think it was Bumpkey. I want, it was something so absurd. But yeah, I like that there's a... It reminded me a little bit of that, or later in the film anyway, or made me think of that, where Bond and Chrissy go back and forth and he explains about being bold or something like that. Mm. Um, and we do get that a bit later, but yeah, with this being the poker film, maybe a little bit more would have been nice. But here, it, it it's not missed or anything, but it makes me think about how good that line was. <laughs> <laughs> That's because Chrissy is so great and you will come around to Free Eyes Only, I know it. Sure, yeah. We, how many episodes we got left? <laughs> um, I'm running out of time. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, Demetrius loses and, and he kind of he leaves his all grumpy. Um, and a little bit later on, outside the club now, we see Solange. She, uh, well, the Aston Martin pulls up and, and she goes to it thinking it's still Demetrius's, but no, obviously Bond's won it. So Bond's there and gets it off the valet and... Um, the two start to have a little chat together and and kind of flirting and uh, Bond offers her a lift home, which she says no to because it will make her husband mad. She's Demetrius's wife. And so instead, Bond offers her a drink and uh, drink at his place, which she asks, is it close? He says yes. So she agrees and uh, they get in the car and then all Bond does is just drive around the front lot and then drive back to the hotel or back to the club, which she finds very amusing. Oh, Bond, so so charming with his little games. Mm. It's kind of a strange moment. But anyway, um, we then cut back to uh, Le Chief's yacht that we saw earlier, where Dimitrios has, has come to pay a visit to him. And uh, Le Chief is, is there sitting down and uh, questioning why the bomb maker, why the one we saw in Madagascar, he was actually under surveillance by MI6. That's why Bond and Carter were there. So how could you let this happen? Uh, is there an element of distrust now how can i trust you and Demetrius says i don't care um i don't care about how you think uh, i can get you another man basically as long as you have the money there's someone else ready to do it for the whole ellipsis stuff a uh, very quick scene but just to show that the the plan the plan continues how much do we see this aston martin by the way because i was just thinking about that this whole time <laughs> oh what with the little drive around thing yeah yeah, yeah i guess they want to get it in there Although, i just I say. It- I don't want to complain too much, but I don't really like how that car stuff is handled in this film. Um, later on, we do get the proper Aston Martin, but this yeah. to me, 
I don't know, some of these elements where they... It never used to bother me. I think a lot of this is more about we've now watched 20 of them in a row and now I'm watching number 21. I'm not really all that impressed by how they did this car with the Aston Martin, that the idea that Bond drives a bloody normal Ford and then just happens to win an Aston Martin and likes it. So that's that. I just... Something about that really didn't work for me it felt like it was getting a little bit like too cute with some of this bond elements there and you just didn't really need to do that um i think the drink thing as well i don't really like all that much i think they're being a bit too cute with it Um, but i never thought this before never ever thought this before when watching this film um but i think watching all of these like this has changed my mind on this stuff where it's like i'm not impressed that bond got an aston martin by beating someone and him ordering a different drink like i don't i don't need an origin story of the drink um some of this stuff actually kind of bothered me a little bit it's almost as if they needed to have bond in the aston especially because i mean it is it's the same aston it's, it's they even say it's the 1964 aston martin so 1964 being the year that goldfinger came out yeah they don't say it's actually the db5 it it looks I don't know if there's a slight difference, but it looks like it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I mean, he does get another Aston a little bit later on. So I don't know. I, I think it might be, yeah, like when you're saying we've just watched so many in a row. I suppose if this was the first film in, in four years, it would have been maybe kind of nice to see that again. And maybe the first time you're seeing it. I, I'm in two minds. I can I can see where you're coming from, though. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Like this being the four-year gap in a new Bond kind of makes sense but you are kind of taking that history of the aston martin which was goldfinger and q being like hey bond look at this awesome car we made and then just turning that to like some bit villain who doesn't really matter at all it being his car and bond just happened to win it in poker i just like something about that just i feel i think feels really off and you didn't really need bond to be driving the aston straight away but I feel like the way they did it just doesn't it doesn't sit right with me. I'm not I don't find it charming anymore. When I was younger or watching this film, I kind of did. I thought that was cool. But it's like, I just don't think you needed some of this origin stuff, like the way they handled it. I just don't think you needed it or didn't need to do it this way. It would have been really weird if it was the Aston Martin with the revolving license plates and check <laughs> yeah. to see and the guns out the front there. And that would have been strange. Button? What the? <laughs> what did I just win? Did Q sell these like to the side as well? Make a little bit of money? Uh, what's going on here? Was Dimitros Q the whole time in disguise? <laughs> Wait a minute. There is no Q in this film, so maybe. Could be. <gasps> it just pulls off a mask and it's Desmond underneath or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> Actually, I guess it would be John Cleese now. Whoops. I guess going back to the actual scene you just talked about, though, with Dimitri- uh, Dimitrios and the Sheaf, I, I really like this scene for how quick it was because it sets the Sheaf up and it, they've kind of been doing this that he is not the guy in control where he just Mm. kind of gets he's like yeah he's so rude to him and that's that (laughs) so yeah i i kind of like that the the setting up that element of his character like yeah there's a lot of things that he does well and he's very heavily connected but actually this is not a blowfeld number one big organization this is just kind of a bit player just trying to do what he needs to do as part of this big scheme yeah that's exactly he's just the middleman in all of this and yeah, very, very early back in the pre, uh, the the sequence in Uganda, you know, you saw that bit about the man and the organization, but uh, like that's where that all links into. But by this point, he just kind of seems like this is a a random guy, like he's just a guy that's kind of 
caught in all of this stuff and and his plans are going wrong. But yeah, like it's not like they're gonna drop him into a piranha pit or anything at this moment. No, that's what he's I was just thinking. dealing with it. Yeah, yeah, this isn't like a Sanchez throw him in the shark pit or something. This is just a dude trying to do business with someone else on a boat and the other guy's just like, I just don't really care, actually, mate. <laughs> just want the money. Yeah. Just give me the money and I'll do the job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we see, we go back to Bond's villa where uh, him and Solange are on the floor kissing and talking to each other and uh, she says about, oh, you like married women, don't you, James? And he says, yeah, keeps things simple, which is a recurring element in this film. Um, Sarcasm. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and how she's uh she's attracted to bad men like her husband and like Bond in this situation and uh that's a sort of a little uh cue that Bond uh stays with to try and find out more about um about Demetrios because uh, he says, you know, what makes your husband a bad man? And she doesn't know. It's a mystery to her. She doesn't he asks about ellipses and Again, she doesn't really know what that's about. Um, but she does. The thing is, like, she knows that she's just being used, basically, by Bond here for this. But the, uh, she says that she doesn't care. Like, she's just going to carry on regardless, which is uh, a bit refreshing. Um, girl power, I guess. I don't know. But uh, as she asks about uh, Ellipsis, as he asks about Ellipsis, she gets a phone call um, from Demetrius. And you, you hear that... Um, He's leaving for the last flight to Miami. With that, she says that they've got the whole night to spend to question her. And um, so Bond decides to order some champagne. Uh, she heads off into the bedroom. And on the phone, Bond orders some some Bollinger. It's got to be Wait. Bollinger, hasn't it? Yeah, it's back. Some nice. Bollinger and some Beluga. It would be funny if you said some of Zukovsky's finest hmm. <laughs> uh, on room service. And the guy on the phone says, uh, you hear him say, for two? And Bond uh, doesn't catch him and, and then says, no, one, and puts the phone down. So, yeah, I wonder what's going on here. Yeah. As you say, yeah, it is kind of nice. Like uh, It's what we had all the way back in Doctor No, really, where the first Bond girl ever, who was also from a casino that Bond was playing, which is quite nice, I guess. I don't know if that's yeah. a reference, but maybe. Maybe it's just they've done it so many times. Everything's a reference at this point. Um, but, yeah, it's just two adults having some fun. And that's kind of what this probably needed with some of these Bond girls. Just two adults who are just at an ocean club. So they're just going to, like, yeah, have a night of fun with some Bollinger. Yeah. Um, it so doesn't that's feel a, it's a weird. nicer way of doing it. Yeah. Like, it, in, other, in uh, other circumstances, this could feel a bit um, manipulative, I suppose, depending on how the woman reacted. I mean, there's definitely been some Bond films where it's been like, Ugh. but... Um, yeah, this is, as you say, it's just like two adults who just, you know, they don't care. Like, <laughs> she's she just wants to have a good time, so she does. She knows the situation she's in and she's going to go on regardless. Um, yeah, like, these characters don't need to be deep. That was never my point with a lot of this. Like, the main Bond girl, sure, let's have an arc for that. But, like, these side one girls, it's fine that Bond sleeps with women. It's just, like, just don't make them so stupid. <laughs> yeah, ditzy, um, yeah. Yeah, and she knows she's in a you know loveless marriage with someone who's just kind of a horrible person so she meets a charming man on the beach and they just have, have like they just meet up it's like yeah that's all you really need it makes sense to me i mean she has a bit of a rough go of it <laughs> she does yeah it doesn't end too well for her but no oh well no but uh yeah this bit all totally makes sense it's a better way of doing it it doesn't change anything massively in terms of the function of the film relative to other bond films 
but it's just portraying it in a way that just makes it seem a bit better. Yeah. So after that, uh, we see Bond still somehow finds a time to be with her and also somehow chase after Demetrius because he is in a, a taxi following him to Miami. I'm not quite sure how he does that. I guess there's, I don't know. I so never really confusing. question that too much. I think like this is really confusing, the way this is shot, because I I see it that Bond gets in the Aston, because you do see him in the Aston, I think, and he like burns it to the airport, lands in Miami, and then what you're seeing is Bond in a taxi following Demetrios from the Miami airport. Yeah. But it's but, not very shot very like it's not shot or edited very well. So initially I was kind of like, oh, I guess they're still in the Bahamas, but no, they're not. They are already in Miami. But Bond is like literally behind him, like tailing him. And it's like that's very that's very fortunate they managed to get into that position. <laughs> I think he could have done it, like it's just I guess you didn't really need all the backstory of it, but no. yeah, if he managed to burn it to the airport, get on the same plane, then you could just follow him as much as you want. Obviously, he can't follow him too mo too much because he knows who he is. It's like, is that the guy who stole my Aston <laughs> in C T uh, D four? Can we share a cab? If it's alright if we share a cab, but just you know, we're both in the same place. Are we both? Yeah, we're both going to Miami. So it makes sense. <laughs> Sorry about that whole car thing, by the way. You know, <laughs> and the car was never seen again. Uh, but yeah, we, we see that Demetrios uh, eventually ends up at um, a sort of science exhibition. He's going to uh, a body worlds ex- exhibition, which um, is a real thing. I think it was in London not too long ago, actually. It's like a, a thing where there's all these preserved, dissected human bodies in different poses, and you can see all the organs and, and things like that. So um, yeah, Demetrius is, heads inside and goes to check a bag um, and gets a little token. For, for the bag check and Bond follows him inside as Bond, as Tom says not going too closely obviously and kind of watching him from afar to an extent and uh, Bond sees Demetrios uh, does he get the text first or does he put the token on first I can't it doesn't really matter to be honest I think uh, he but, sends he gets the text and then he puts the token down yeah so Bond is like hiding behind one of these skeleton things all very creepy it's a huge room full of people bustling and yeah he's hiding behind one of these uh exhibits and he sees Demetrios get a text or, or do something with, with his phone anyway um and then after that he heads over to one of the models which is of these uh bodies playing poker and he puts the bag check token on top of the pile of chips on there and um we, we see Bond looking at this and wondering what's going on and and then we suddenly see Demetrios kind of appear from behind him so he's obviously spotted him and and he's come up from behind with a with a knife pointed at his back. And with that starts to sort of guide Bond a bit over um with the with the knife behind him. And you then get the two kind of caught into a, a little bit of a lock together. Um Bond turns around and grabs Demetrius's uh, arms so that he can't stab him. And so they're sort of yeah, locked one another trying to overpower each other, trying to, like, you see the knife, like, point towards Demetrius, and then it's always slightly pointing towards Bond, and, oh, what's going to happen? And it's kind of, like, they're in the middle of this giant room full of people. There's tour guides going on behind him, and they're obviously in silence trying to keep this relatively uh, uh, hidden, what's going on here. So um, eventually Bond sort of nods his head as a distraction to to make Demetrius look behind him, and 
that gives him enough uh, time to overpower and, and stab him with his own knife. Go take him and, and plonk the body down to the side, kind of a little bit more in, hidden in the darkness, and give him a little slap on the cheek. There's no quip there or anything. <laughs> Just a little pat on the cheek. And he uh, takes his phone and spots that what he was doing was another ellipsis text, which had just been just been sent. That's when he looks over and spots that the token, the, the cloakroom token that had been put down, is now missing as well. And the bag has been taken from the cloakroom. So, like, yeah, very simple scene, this. I guess I would say it's quite standard, apart from the fact that there's a lot of, like, meat people yeah. <laughs> sitting around. Yeah. Um, definitely sets a tone, I suppose. But, yeah, this was quite good. D- Dimitrios, despite, yeah, that's his Danielle. Goodbye. <laughs> He's been stabbed. Uh, but yeah, I think we've talked in the past about how these bit characters can kind of be a bit lame uh, in the early Bond films, but this one works quite well. He, I think he's mostly here just to be a classic Bond kind of character that he goes up against. But yeah, pretty tense. It was pretty yeah. tense seeing them both holding the knife and shaking and all the little things where they're both trying to stab each other with this knife and they're just trying to hide it as well. And I think it goes really well in terms of like, Daniel Craig's demeanor as Bond. It's that stone faced look that is he's quite famous for. So seeing him trying to keep up that facade and try to keep in control or trying to stab each other so no one knows what's going on. It's a yeah, it's a very simple setup, very simple idea. And it's just like shot very well to create all this kind of tension between these two people. Uh, especially because, you know, it's also the classic Bond thing of two men or Bond and somebody has a casual game. And Bond wins. So now they're in an actual physical one. It's it's also that formula, which is quite classic Bond. So it's all very um it all works very well. Yeah. And and Demetrius does sort of get the better of Bond as well. He he catches him from behind, so he uh he makes a good go of it. And he does he he, he gets one step ahead of Bond briefly, but yeah, obviously ends ends that way. Um yeah, it, it it is that thing where they they've done this a few times where they have that moment of like juxtaposition between something happening and there's this wider thing going on around and it's it's one moment of danger in a in a like usually a quite a informal or or jovial setting like uh, some thunderball for example where um what's her face dies and while they're dancing sort of thing so yeah it's nothing that we haven't seen before but I think the way that Craig does it as you say he's very he's got those that way to sort of like really get the intensity of it all with his lovely blue eyes and everything so (laughs) yeah it works really well and with that you have reached the end of part one of episode 21 of the bond revisited podcast join myself and joe next time where bond runs around miami airport meets vespa for the first time before heading to the casino royale itself to take part in lasheev's 100 million dollar poker game thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for part two 